With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. Hey there, it's Rachel Mullins, the host of Hashtag No Filter Fridays on Public House Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Food for Thought podcast. I am your host, Kylie Thompson. Before we get started with anything today, I do just want to say that this episode is sponsored by Coffee Over Cardio. I talk about them a lot. It's a really great coffee company run by women, and I use their cold brew tumbler all the time as well as their cold brew packets. They're so amazing. I love everything about the company. All of the products are amazing. Try the Messy Bun Cinnamon Bun Coffee They come in K-Cups as well as the grounds. I have a coffee pot, so I use the grounds. And yeah, they're so great. They also just dropped some new merch. They have adorable little mugs and so much stuff going on. So they're sponsoring this episode and I do have a coupon code for them. So if you want 10% off of your order, head to coffeeovercardio.com and just plug in at checkout the coupon code 10K Thompson for 10% off of your order. Again, that is 10K Thompson for 10% off of your order. Another thing before I get started with episode eight today is I just wanted to let all of you know, I think everyone knows this, I pre-record my episodes and prior to the air date of April 27th, I had probably 15 or 20 episodes recorded and Millie was one of those and a lot of things have changed since I recorded with her and Basically, we talk about her social media account, specifically her Instagram account, Cinnamilly, where she's a social media influencer, body positivity, eating disorder recovery advocate. And she has since last week actually decided to step away from that account and that community just, you know, to move on to the next chapter of her life, which I so support and commend her for doing that because it's it can be hard to step away from something like that, especially when you have a large social media following and you know that you're making a change, but like... She did something really great for herself and is moving on to the next chapter of her life. So I really support and commend her for that. It doesn't make any of the information that I got from her any less valid, but I just wanted to let you know if you go to follow that account, I'm not sure if she deleted it yet, but I do believe she's going to. So you can actually follow her personal account, which I'll link in the episode bio for this week. So you can go over there and check out her personal account. It's great content as well. And I'm really excited to see everything that she does with her future. And, you know, her social media following is already growing on her personal. And I do think that she's going to continue to make change, but just in, you know, not as much of an official way. And I'm, I don't have as many followers as she has by any means, but like, no matter how many followers you have, you feel this pressure to continue to produce content and do this and that. And, I'm really proud of her for stepping away from that and, you know, changing her life and rerouting a couple of things. So she's doing so great. She's only 18 years old. So like she has so much life ahead of her and I know that she's going to continue to make change. So yeah, go ahead over to Instagram and follow her personal account instead of her influencer account. And I'm just really excited to get right into this episode with Millie. She's so adorable. She 
we were just talking on Instagram. I was DMing her about how cute her accent is. And I'm from Wisconsin and I have such a disgusting Wisconsin accent. So just being able to have a nice soothing, you know, UK accent is really cute. And she's just the content that she gives us for this episode is really great as well. You'll learn a little bit more about her eating disorder recovery journey as well as what treatment is like in the UK, which I find really fascinating because I obviously am from the United States and we just do a lot of things differently in the world of healthcare. So this was really fascinating for me and I hope it is for you guys as well. So without further ado, here is episode number eight. All right, everyone. Today I have Millie Staniforth here with me. How are you today, Millie? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to finally see you in person and chat with you. How's everything going? It's going all right. I mean, obviously the world's in a bit of a weird situation at the moment, so it's been a bit tougher than usual, but... Mm -hmm. I was actually going to ask how things are going over there with COVID-19. Yeah, so um, I'm from the UK. Um, Our country is in lockdown pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like Everyone is at home. Everyone's staying at home. Um, we can't go out unless it's for like exercise or you know going to the shop or something, which is is making it quite hard. Especially I know for a lot of people with mental health issues, mm-hmm. you know isolation does make it thrive. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much how things are here in in the U.S. as well. It's been Wisconsin has been. I think I'm on like a month and a half of social distancing and I know other places, I know like Florida opened up beaches and things like that. So it's kind of like each state is doing their own thing and trying to figure out which what's best for like their economy versus their people. Mm-hmm. I'm glad our governor hasn't opened anything back up yet because I just feel like yeah. it's going to create a second wave of everything and then we'll be social distancing for all of 2020 and nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's gonna be hard to kind of get out of I know like we're like we're still locked down until at least like May 7th I think so mm-hmm. you know okay. and then it could be extended after that but it depends on a lot of things but yeah it's just a matter of seeing what's happening and yeah just going from there. Our governor said it was originally the 24th of April, so it should be tomorrow, um, but then he extended it to May 26th. So yeah, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that that will be the first sure day that we can go out and be normal again because I miss it. But yeah, yeah. definitely. I do too. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's just jump right into it. Why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? So I'm 18 years old. I'm from the UK. I'm from a little town called Doncaster, which is like north of England. Um, not Scotland, but like below, I can't ex- describe it properly, <laughs> but it's in the north. Um, and I've had an eating disorder for three years now. Three years? Yeah, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started recovery three years ago as well. Um, I guess a lot of it started when I was about 15. Um, so I was going through a period of exams in my, in school and I've always been a perfectionist. So if I ever didn't do well in an exam, I would like completely break down. And one of the ways that I chose to cope with exam anxiety was through exercise. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was wanting to lose weight. 
So I used exercise, ended up using exercise more as a weight loss method rather than just through the joy and anxiety relief that it was. So mm-hmm. then it started to impact my eating and what I ate. I started feeling myself becoming afraid of certain foods rather than, you know, just saying, oh, I don't want that. It was like, I can't have that. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite common with a lot of people with eating disorders as well, that it does become a fear rather than just a, oh, no, I, I, you know, I don't want it today. You know, I don't fancy that. Mm-hmm. So that started it all off, I guess. And from there, things kind of just escalated rather quickly, actually. Sure. I mean, access to mental health services, uh, because we have our public health service, so we have, like, therapies for free and... You know, it's all funded through um, taxpayers. That's awesome. Um, I didn't have to wait a long time or I didn't have to spend any money to get help. Mm-hmm. Um, but the help that I was provided at first, it was like we were bounced between a lot of services at first. I was either too severe for some services or I wasn't severe enough for others. Mm-hmm. So it spent a lot of time, which I could have been in recovery at that time, mm-hmm. bouncing around. And by the time that a service finally accepted me, I was told I had to go inpatient because my physical and mental condition was that kind of, it was that bad. And I was in a psychiatric unit for two months, I think, two months wow. to get my... Uh, weight and my mental health back on track um and yeah and I had I've had like a couple of relapse between that but I've managed to get through it and since like I'd say since like late 2018 um I've been on like a very solid recovery path and you know that's what I keep doing every day yeah, definitely. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what was your time in inpatient like? Because that was something I never experienced. Did you have a hard time adjusting or was it like by the time you went into that inpatient facility, you were kind of surrendering to your recovery and you were more willing to go there? Um, so the good thing about my case is that I wasn't sectioned, so I wasn't kind of forced into going. Mm-hmm. It was my decision. Um, they said you know we want you to go to this unit we think it will be beneficial I reckon if I would have said no they probably would have sectioned me mm-hmm. but I, I said yeah because with within all the eating disorder noise there was a part of me that still wanted to get better and wanted to find a life out of it especially since you know I could see the the driving factor for me was how it was affecting my family mm-hmm. I'd be like I had to go to general hospital before I went to psychiatric unit. And when I was, you know, I'd be sat there crying and being just so upset and angry with myself and angry with the food that was in front of me. And, I, you know, I saw my dad cry, who I never usually see cry. I saw my brother cry, who I never usually see cry. And I realized like just the impact it was having and how much it changed me as a person and how much it was impacting other people as well. Mm-hmm. So I think when I got there, I kind of thought, do I want to do this? Not necessarily, but will I do this? Even if it's just not for myself at the moment. Yeah. And then about two weeks in when I started feeling a little brighter in myself because, you know, malnourishment does make you miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started, you know, eating and 
kind of getting over fears of certain foods and feeling myself feel a bit more comfortable I started doing it for myself rather than just for others I think that was the starting point for me was thinking this isn't for me it's for everyone else and then thinking oh actually this is for me like the Mm -hmm. real me Mm -hmm. and actually kind of answered my next question too but if you want to touch on it a little bit more so your family was obviously then supportive of you going into treatment and stuff like that do you Mm -hmm. how did they adjust to you being in inpatient treatment and then when you came out after that two-month period how did they adjust to that so um one of the biggest issues that we have in the UK around eating disorder units is that they are rather scattered around the UK Mm. there's usually one in every single region so I'm from Mm -hmm. South Yorkshire there is uh, one or two in South Yorkshire Mm -hmm. but the nearest one to me was about 30 minutes away but because the beds were full I had to go to one that was an hour away um so I guess it was hard for my parents because they couldn't be by my side all the time Mm-hmm. and like for me I'd never really been away from home for a long period of time of mind in a place full of strangers and people watching you constantly mm-hmm. so I think for them it was hard because they didn't have their little girl at home all the time and you know like they'd contact me via FaceTime they came down every single day drove oh. an hour every single day to get there and drove an hour to get back um, every single night they used to come and see me So I think for them, it was hard to adjust because, you know, they weren't able to see me 24-7 like they used to. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to, like, say good morning to me when I woke up and got out of bed and just, like, I just went uh, back to him because I was too tired. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like, we couldn't, we weren't eating together, like, as a family like we used to and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it was hard for them in that sense. But at the same time, they knew that it was the best thing for me. Right. Yeah. And then when I got home, it was a lot like it was quite regimental when I got home because obviously a lot of the stuff from inpatient that my parents and I both learned was very like a very regimental routine, like eat at these certain times, Mm -hmm. like plate up your meal in this certain way. So at the start, it was quite rigid. Like it felt like it didn't feel like I was still in the unit obviously at home, but it did feel like, you know, a lot of it was taken with me Mm -hmm. and I think my family wanted to kind of grasp onto that at first to kind of make the adjustment back into a normal life a little bit easier so sure I think that they um they worked with that quite well as well Mm -hmm. and after you came out of the inpatient treatment did you continue with like therapy or some kind of outpatient treatment too yeah I have um we have a service connected to our national health service called um cams which stands for child and adolescent mental health services so basically they are like mental health nurses or like eating disorder specialists that work with people up to the age of 18 Mm -hmm. so at that time when I was out of the inpatient unit I was I was 15 still um so I, I worked with them for three years um up until I turned 18 on stuff like uh, we did cognitive behavioral therapy um we touched upon emdr um and it was a lot to do with just talking about how i was feeling which it was tough for me at first because i got out the inpatient unit i felt a bit like well what happens now Mm -hmm. like i bet yeah uh, it was like i had this 
way of life and this r- routine that yeah I still adopted it at home I guess but it was like now I'd have to start transferring back into school mm-hmm. and trying to build up normality and I just kind of thought what now and I hadn't actually established a great connection with this outpatient team before I went inpatient because I barely saw them so I had to mm-hmm. kind of build up a trust as well and that was hard for me because um I mean I get anxious about telling people things mm-hmm. or well I did mm-hmm. um so having to open up about my story again and kind of talk about everything it was like it was like repeating kind of what I'd been through in the unit and it kind of it kind of wore me down a bit it did mm-hmm. but you kind of when you got get used to a therapist or someone it makes it a lot easier I had an amazing um therapist whilst I was with Cam's um I'll just say D because that's the his first like the first letter of his first name mm. and he was so personal yet like he was professional but he could have a laugh he could make a joke with you mm-hmm. he, he understood my sense of humor which is quite dark at times and sometimes I make fun of myself and he acknowledges he used to acknowledge that you know that was just my way of coping at the time sure so it's stuff like that like people understanding you mm-hmm. and your needs and that's what made it a lot easier for me definitely got out of impatient yeah sure and finding the right therapist is so important because I know when I was seeing a therapist it was like I think I went to like four before I found one that actually stuck with me because it was like I'd walk in the room and everything from like I was so picky and I was I was younger too I was I want to say 16 or 17 um and I walked in I like if I didn't like the decor or like so just like the vibes in the room yeah. I was like nope it's not right for me um, yeah yeah, and the, yeah and the one that I ended up sticking with she was very much like that too and she was just like there'd be some days especially when I first started going where I'd just sit and like stare at her for an hour and hardly say anything and she was really like accepting of that and like just of yeah. my process because she acknowledged with me that even the fact that I was there was like a step in my recovery oh, journey. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there would be some other days where like something would have happened and I'd go in and like, I'd talk a mile a minute and I'd just go, I'd go off for like an hour and she wouldn't get in a word in very much, but she'd be like, okay, I wrote all this down. And once you've had a couple of days to like sit and think on it, we'll come back and talk about it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, just finding a therapist that like fits right in with you is super, super important too. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have to hit on this. You have quite the following on Instagram. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, and obviously that's how we connected, but how did you yeah. get such a following? Like what started that for you? What was that journey like? Um, it was, it was just like, I used to see people's accounts on Instagram when I was, when I was impatient, we were allowed our phones and stuff. So I used to look through the ED recovery tag on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I'd see all these people sharing their experiences. And I just thought to myself, oh, I could do that. You know, I could talk about stuff and maybe sure. it'll help me along. You know, yeah. by saying something to other people, like motivational, sometimes you can apply it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why I started doing, like, I'd do little posts where I'd just, like, share my food when I went on leave and mm-hmm. stuff. And... um I was inspired by a lot of other like Instagrammers at the time. So um, Leandra's Road to Recovery, for example, she's an amazing mm-hmm. eating disorder recovery account. And um, she was one of the first people I followed and one of the first people that really inspired me to make an account, I guess, at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like 
it's actually coming up to the third third year anniversary so um may 2017 i started it just kind of shared about what i was doing and like what i was eating and how i was feeling Mm -hmm. and i started gaining followers and i was like oh right well i guess i'll just keep doing it Mm -hmm. and i kind of just kept doing it and all of a sudden like it went from like 1000 2000 3000 4,000 and then it went up to 10k and I was like whoa Mm -hmm. and then it went up to like what it is now which is over 11.5 thousand and you know it it does kind of shock me sometimes where I get messages and stuff saying you know you're the reason why I started recovery or you know your posts have helped me get through a relapse and stuff and I'm just like whoa like I to have that kind of reach where it's like it's not just in my country as well it's mm-hmm. all around the world yeah that's just that's just crazy to me like the fact that I'm just from I'm from a tiny little town in the mm-hmm. UK like out like it's like tiny it's, it's a little small town um so to like have that reach like worldwide when I'm just I'm just an 18 year old girl who is like you know she's a, I'm a student and I have a barista job you know Mm -hmm. like out of this life um like it's kind of crazy so yeah Yeah. it's mental yeah and it's been I mean I followed you for a little while too and it's just been really cool to like see the reach that you've had and it's something I mean I started the same way when I was looking for I guess kind of motivation to recover it was at the time when Instagram was like just kind of becoming a thing which makes me feel really old to say that but I found (laughs) like one account and she it was kind of the same thing she just posted what she ate and how she felt and for some reason that just resonated so deeply with me and I was like well if she can do it then I can do it too and I can recover because she's doing great and like she was a little bit older than me and actually she doesn't do it anymore but I still I have her on like Snapchat and follow her personal accounts because I just felt such a connection with her. Oh yeah, definitely. It was so cool for me to like watch her go to college and watch her do all these things. And like, even when I just follow her personal account right now, I can look back and be like, oh my gosh, I remember when you were in such a dark place and now you've gone on and lived this amazing life and done all these really cool things. So Mm -hmm. people doing stuff like that, you might not think that it makes a difference, but it really truly does. And that's really cool that you've been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was like, it was a weird turning point when I started seeing myself, you know, like actually having an impact on people because one of the things when I started recovering from eating disorder, all I wanted to do was help people who might be in the same position. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm in like college, which is like, I know in the U S like high school kind of goes up to your 18. Yeah. Um, but for us, like when you're 16, you leave high school, you go to college, which is where you get like your, a levels or something like that oh, okay. which then leads to you going to like your version of college which is our university and getting a degree oh okay okay so it's kind of weird um and I'm studying um health and social care because mm-hmm. um, I want to go on and do a degree in psychology or mental health nursing so I want to go on and help people so for me it was kind of my way of giving back what I've learned I guess mm-hmm. definitely and, you know, giving back to people like the experience that I've had and how that can maybe show that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, definitely. For sure. And having, I mean, having that social media account and that following, do you ever feel like, I mean, are there days that you don't want to do it or are there days, I don't know, what is it like to be a quote unquote Instagram influencer? Like how does it, (laughs) how does all of that affect you and your recovery journey? 
I think there's been times, I mean, there's a lot of like controversy around the Instagram community when it comes mm-hmm. to recovery. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of negative press about it. And there's a lot of things, you know, because it, once upon a time, Instagram was like a haven for um, pro Anna's and yeah. pro Mia mm-hmm. accounts. And mm-hmm. I don't see much of that recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that sticks with a lot of people when you say, oh, I have an Instagram recovery account. They're like, oh, hmm. Um, so I think accounts like, you know, and stuff that like you're doing and accounts like mine and people like Leandra, you know, what we're doing is kind of shifting the perspective. And mm-hmm. that's usually what I think about every time I post. But there have been times where I've been a bit unmotivated. And it's a lot of the time where if I feel low in my recovery, I find it hard to say mm-hmm. or maybe write posts saying yeah I'm struggling mm-hmm. and say that there's a way out of it because sometimes I don't think that myself mm-hmm. it's when I get out of that mindset I think yeah actually I can say that there's a way out of it because I've just done it I've just done that you know yeah but definitely there's not really been a time where it has affected my recovery in a negative sense I guess it's only ever made me more motivated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and seeing that people enjoy my content and what I put out there has definitely made me more motivated to recover than ever really so yeah definitely yeah, it's been positive good because I know I've talked to a couple other girls um that like I'm I'm involved in pageants I'm in the Miss America organization so I've been talking to a lot of girls yeah, that I do saw. that too um but there's one girl that was like I mean obviously she advocates for recovery and eating disorder awareness too and she was like some days I just feel like I'm faking if I do tell everyone that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I'm not feeling it. But I think that it's so good for you that being able to say that like motivates you um, just because I don't know, that's kind of how I felt too. Some days it's like, well, if I post this and say that I'm not doing that great, then maybe somebody else will see it and be like, well, I'm not either, but like, that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know. I just think that the work that you're doing is so great. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, so do you have any last little bits of food for thought for our listeners before I let you go? Um, I'd say that if any of your listeners are going through a rough time right now, that it gets better. I know that people say it all the time and it's easy to think, all right, then sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't heard that one before, Right. but it's true. Like I went from a girl from this small town who was suffering, had to go to a unit and thought that, you know, there was no hope for myself. Like I, mm-hmm. I'd given up. Mm-hmm. Essentially I'd given up. But sometimes there's just one part of your life which keeps you going and you need to hang on to that one part. And from that, I mean, I passed those exams I was extremely anxious about. I got onto this amazing course, which will hopefully lead to me helping people in a professional mm-hmm. way as well as just on Instagram you know it's Mm -hmm. helped me I mean I have a partner who's amazing I have amazing friends it gets better you just need to believe that it will that's probably what I would say Mm -hmm. definitely yeah well you seem like you're doing so great you're so fun to talk to you're so cute you're just so (laughs) stinking cute I remember when I was scrolling through your Instagram and like thinking about messaging you I was like oh my gosh I can't wait to like see her she's so cute Yeah, I'm literally sat in this blouse and this little cardigan because I'm kind of cold, but I can't be bothered to close my window. So I'm just like <laughs> wrapping up long. Yep, and I'm like 
I was on like a little road trip last week. And so I feel like I'm still not recovered from that. Like I almost feel like I've jet lag. I've never been on a plane, but I feel like I've jet lag from all this traveling. Um, and I'm like, haven't showered. That's on my like list of to do. So you just look so cute. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Is there anything else that you want to say? Um, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much everything that I could say I guess yeah that's good thank you for letting me do this it's been amazing yeah anytime I definitely want to like recycle through some of my guests that I have on and I feel like you'll be one of those so I'm excited to talk to you again amazing yeah yeah I'd love that all right everyone that is it for this week thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the food for thought podcast I will see you all next week also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus. The bulbous walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. To make sure millions of people are getting paid on time and in compliance, ADP is staying on top of each new piece of legislation. So when it comes down to it, ADP isn't just a payroll and HR company. We're the company that helps you navigate complexity. Learn more at ADP.com.